Hi, this is Amanda Dolan and welcome to the Mental Society. Today we are joined by Dr. Gayla Gorman. Dr. Gorman holds advanced degrees in human development and is a holistic life coach, minister, and published author of the Spiritual Approach series of books focused on practical spirituality. She is also a licensed acupuncturist, naturopath, and author who offers practical advice and programs to reverse health issues resulting from chronic stress. She helps women relieve their symptoms, restore their energy, and reclaim their superwoman status. Dr. Gayla advocates for getting to the root cause of the health issues and treating it naturally. She encourages patients to be their own health advocate, like, you know, your PCP, your primary care person, not provider, because, right, you're the most knowledgeable. I'm not a provider. (laughs) Um, And uh, you just um, had a new book published called What is Your Kryptonite? Manage the Toxic Stressors that Are Threatening Your Superwoman Status. So what is a superwoman? Well, we know what superwoman is from the comic books, right? Right. I think it's fairly common for women when they're kind of half joking to think of themselves as superwoman, really (laughs) with everything we juggle, that's the only way it would be possible, right? (laughs) Is if we literally were, you know, just superwoman uh, incarnate, right? So, um, so that was just a nod to, you know, I get it. All the things that women are expected to do. Every one of us has our own version of, you know, why we qualify, but um, most women would qualify as superwoman in their world. Right. I think it changes to like what makes us a superwoman as we are in different stages of life as well. Like I'm in this weird stage right now where I have teenagers at home and I have a mother who's aging uh, you know, 1200 miles away from me. And so I'm in this, like trying to be superwoman for her, superwoman for my kids. Oh my, you know, running my own business, starting a podcast. And so I've got my plate quite full. And, and so, yeah, I feel like I'm that kind of superwoman now, but when my kids were younger, it was, I was the president of the PTA and I was volunteering <laughs> I was, you know, a wife then and keeping up with the household and all of those things. So that's definitely. Isn't that that interesting? I think that's actually fascinating, right, Amanda? Because um, we think, oh, well, it'll get easier, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just really overwhelming right now. But a few years from now, let me just get through these toddler years. And when they're a little more independent, like we'll, Um, be able to smooth things out. The ride will be less bumpy. And then as you pointed out, you don't just go to the PTA meetings, you take a leadership role, right? That's the kind of things we do just to um, sort of step up and next level ourselves into the world, right? And so those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about that um, tend to turn us into superwoman or um, call out the superwoman in us, right? Because all of us in our own way are um, magical, overachievers, (laughs) overachievers in whatever it is we've decided to take on. Absolutely. And I think 
this was my personal experience, not just with myself, but some other women that, that I worked with on the PTA was very much a, well, no one else is going to do it. So I have to, I don't want to, but no one else is. So like, I'll just, I'll do it and I'll suck it up and I'll be miserable for the rest of the year. Um, I I had to take a deep breath on that one because, um, that is a story we tell ourselves, um, when we kind of are, um, leaning into control freak (laughs) that, oh, it's nobody else is going to do it. So I have to do it. And we have to get real with ourselves. What is ours to do? What would we love to be able to do if there was plenty of time? Like I had already spent my hour soaking in the tub and my hour walking in nature. And I had taken care of my kids and the laundry was all done and everybody was well-fed, healthy meals. Then, you know, okay, maybe I can take on something else. But when our plate's already overflowing, stuff's hanging off the sides, Mm -hmm. and now we're telling ourselves that nobody else is going to do it, so I have to do it, that's just a lie. I mean, it may be true that nobody else is going to do it, but then it's just not going to get done. And that's it. Like, what's the worst that happens if that doesn't get done? Now, if it's, you know, if I don't sleep, like what's the worst that's going to happen? If I, if you don't sleep for a long time, like you're kind of going to go a little crazy, right? Like your brain's going to stop functioning and eventually you're going to crash or die. Like there's really, right. We, we require my husband is a, my husband is a psychotherapist and so many people, um, put sleep as a ridiculously low priority, right? And so he'll have clients come in and he'll ask them about their sleep patterns and they tell him that they don't have time to sleep and they maybe get, you know, four or five hours a night and, and they'll, you know, catch up later kind of thing. And he says, well, there's not really a whole lot I can do to help you with emotional regulation until you start prioritizing sleep. So you need to be sleeping somewhere between seven to nine hours a night, solid, restful sleep. Same thing I would tell my patients, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. um, and until you are ready to prioritize that, and you know, regardless of the circumstances, what has to fall to the wayside, there's not a whole lot I can do. I mean, I'm happy to keep meeting with you, but you're mm-hmm. going to continue having issues that are going to be hard to make any headway with until you're getting good, solid rest. And so (laughs) they'll take him seriously because, you know, it's expensive to go to the doctor, right? We don't take insurance. You've got to come out of pocket and pay for it, right? So they go home and tell everybody in their world that they got to start prioritizing sleep. And they come back a week or two later and, you know, he'll ask them, you know, how are you doing? How's the sleep going? And they're like, oh, I'm sleeping so much better. I'm really prioritizing the sleep. And actually everything I was complaining about has just about fallen away, maybe a couple little issues left. And those are easy to resolve once we can have really solid emotional regulation. And so, you know, they're like in and out in a few appointments once they prioritize sleep. So that's how important it is. Like, I mean, right, because sleep, our brains heal during sleep, our 
you know, all the, all the repair work happens. And if we're not repairing ourselves, how are, how are you going to keep working? Right. I mean, if you think of like a pair of socks, right. That starts to get a hole in the toe. If you don't darn it or repair it quickly, it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and take more and more work to repair it. And I know for myself, you know, I, I share with you, I have bipolar. Um, and the biggest trigger for me for a relapse in my bipolar is lack of rest and sleep. And I may, I have, you know, my, on my phone, I have a reminder that it's almost bedtime and I, you know, notifications automatically get silenced as a reminder for me that rest is important. And And that's enough. I've done enough today. It's time to shut down. Right. And it's like, if my, if I'm going to bed and my house is standing and my children are taken care of, I've done a great job for the day. (laughs) And I know that that a lot of people may hear that and be like, but Amanda, what about work and self-development and all that? Yes. Those are great things, but I can't do any of that if I'm so stressed that I'm not resting, that I'm not, and if I'm not resting, I'm going to be even more stressed, right? It's a, and if, if I'm not resting and I'm not giving myself enough time for sleep, then chances are there's things on my plate that I don't need there right now. Well, you simply don't have room for them. Yeah. Your plate is over full. The plate's only so big, right? We have 24 hours in a day and we have, you know, if we need to sleep a minimum of seven, that assumes you're sleeping soundly, a minimum of seven, it probably is an hour before sleep that you're preparing and an hour after sleep that you're kind of getting up and moving into your day. So now that's nine hours, take the nine hours out of 24 and what are you left with, right? You're left with 15 hours and that's it. We all have the same 15 hours. And so if you can't get it done in 15 hours, you got to get real with yourself about what is realistically um, yours to do and capable of doing. And I think about, you know, there's like two things that sort of go hand in hand. One is I see a lot of that hustle, the hustle culture, like zero days off, you know, all the side hustles. I'm going to do all of these things so I can make all the money. And along with that kind of this, I'll sleep when I die. Like I don't need to take a break right now. And I think that that is so damaging to us because it doesn't allow us time for interactions. I think being social is part of who we are as beings and that having quality relationships improves our overall well-being and rest. And I think this idea of I've got to do more and more and more that when you don't, or when you fail, whatever that looks like in your head at something, it adds another level of stress and anxiety. So do you see that with the people, the women that you work with of this, I have to go, go, go all the time? Yeah, I think that it's just a chronic um condition, if you will, we've conditioned ourselves over the years to just kind of have that expectation. I don't know if the um, ladies that I work with so much are 
taking on extra gigs. They just literally have their world that is theirs with so. overstuffed and overcommitted. <laughs> and um, and so, you know, one of the things that came to me when you were um, sharing that a moment ago is that I can hear women listen to this thinking, well, what about that special occasion where we just stay up late, but we've still got to get up and go to work the next day or something happened. I've got something, some really juicy project that I'm actually really enjoying. And I stayed up late and I got a short night of sleep. So those situations, we can offset that fairly easy. If it is only one night, typically that won't be an issue. Um, I will tell you that people like to think they can make up their sleep on the weekends and that does not happen. You can't make up your sleep. Your sleep is sort of a static kind of thing that needs to happen in the, in the time period that your body is accustomed to doing its repair work. But if it happens one night, not going to be the end of the world. Our bodies are fantastic self-healing mechanisms. And, um, and that's not going to be a problem, but it's when you string, um, uh, quite a few nights together for (laughs) me, you know, the first night, no big deal. I can kind of manage it. The second night, I'm on fumes. The third night, forget about it. Everything basically is going to H-E double just yeah. and a hand I mean, basket, and, 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 and we're done. You know, and now you've got all this additional repair work to do to um, get back to even extra, like ground zero. Takes extra time to just make up all of that. It's almost like you drained like your pool, right? Like if you if you know the water goes down a little bit every day, and when you sleep enough, it comes back up to the right level. But if you don't sleep enough, right, all of a sudden you've got way more to fill up than a normal night's worth of rest or a normal, you know. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As we were both talking, I was thinking, what are we teaching our kids with this? Like, there's so many things to do. You know, you've got your piano lessons and soccer and your art lessons. And then, you know, we do all of these other things and you don't get home with your kids until 9.30 at night. And then your 12-year-old also has to be up and be at school at eight. So what are we teaching our kids when we are constantly going and not caring for ourselves? So it is an epidemic that kids are stretched beyond a reasonable amount of activities. Mm-hmm. And... I will just caution parents that if you're allowing your kids to use their devices at night before bed, let's just say, especially if you know they've got to get up by, I don't know, six o'clock to be at school by eight, then, and you know, they need to sleep and kids honestly need to sleep longer than seven hours. They really do need more like eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. 10 really. Right. But at least like eight or nine. Right. Right. So now like count back from six to 10 hours, you know, you're talking eight o'clock at night. Right. I mean, which probably isn't realistic. Right. But let's just say it's nine. 
Well, at least an hour before that, all the devices need to be turned off because all of that blue wow. light is affecting their little brains and their brains are really still in development. So that's super important. I know so many parents that let their kids have the devices in their rooms and, so, and yeah, it's a, it's a big problem. Well, but then I, the, but then the, the, you know, um, issue that you particularly were concerned about, I would also question what time was the last meal eaten? If you're not getting home until nine or so at night, are you getting home at nine o'clock, eight or nine o'clock at night hungry? And now you're eating your meal, your evening meal mm -hmm. in the late evening, which is equally as problematic because if your body is still digesting when it's trying to shut down for sleep, yes. all kinds of other things also are accumulating. Well, because I mean, I, I am not a doctor, but I would assume that I know digestion takes a lot of your energy. And so if you're sleeping and digesting at the same time, are you getting the same rest that you need? If your body's also digesting food? Your body cannot do repair and digest. It's one or the other. So, so either gonna you're gonna wake up. Well, if you if you've put your body in a situation where it's got to have that battle all night long, trying to decide, am I going to prioritize digestion or am I going to prioritize rest? It's basically in a battle and under stress all night long. And so you're going to wake up feeling bloated, feeling not rested, you know, you all kinds either. of other issues then accumulate. So, um, so yeah, it's a big problem. So if you're, yeah, if you're not digesting your food well or getting rest well, you're not getting those nutrients, you're not fueling, you don't have the fuel for your body for the next day and you haven't repaired your body from the previous day's things, whatever those, you know, whatever you used your body and your energy. And for. so now, now imagine that that doesn't just go on for a few days. It goes on for a few months or a few years. Imagine the damage that accumulates. And that's why as women get into their 40s, 50s, they start to see dis-ease escalate to disease. And I, I love that dis-ease to disease because when we're not comfortable, when we're not, it's not, when life's not easy. And by that, I just mean that like everything is, flowing the way that we want it to. We're getting the rest we need. We have the relationships that are serving us. Um, when it's easy, we're comfortable. We're not, right? There's not that discomfort. There's not a um, battle going on. And so, but when when you have enough of that dis-ease, that running around, exhaustion, not spending time with your friends, right? That's when you start to actually get sick because your immune system is fighting just for your body to function. It can't fight any infection or you've built up so much stress and toxins or right. Your body is, well, it's got those um, like anabolic hormones going or catabolic hormones, the uh, like cortisone, right? Your cortisol, cortisol. Yeah. Cortisol, you're bloated, you're inflamed, right? I know that 
like for me, I'm, I'm vegan. That works very well for me. Um, and when I went, when I dairy, particularly when I stopped dairy, all of a sudden my, I could think better and I didn't hurt all over, which was wild to me to think that dairy had that big of an impact on me. I never put two and two together that my diet impacted every part of my body so much. And I know you work with your clients and their diet as well, not just what time they eat, but what they eat and how they're nourishing their body. Yeah. With most patients, I run a bioenergetic scan and it gives me just an idea of their toxicity level in 12 different categories of toxins. One of those is food-related toxicity. And so we could all improve our situation a bit in that area just okay. because our food supply, if we ate organic, perfect home-cooked meals, we would still not be getting everything we need. It's just the way the food supply is these days. But um, I run the energetic toxic burden scan. And then I typically run a food sensitivity scan just to give me a snapshot mm -hmm. of what foods are creating energetic disturbances in the body. And if it looks like that's a big problem, then I typically run a food sensitivity um, lab, which actually um, evaluates these um, the antibody effect okay. essentially that the components of the food substances have. So you can see, they can see in the blood work, how much of right. an impact it's having on your immune system when you're consuming a certain type of food. So what I tell patients is if they don't have access to all that and they need a DIY, the, the easiest thing is to eliminate dairy, gluten, and yeast, um, sugar and sugar, obviously, um, which is now, when you those talk about four things are nearly impossible to eliminate. Now, when you talk about sugar, are you talking about the added sugar, like in soda and desserts, or also like the fruit sugar? Like if I have an orange, does that sugar impact my body the same way as if I had a candy bar? So, um. The bottom line is, yes, it does. That's, that's sugar true. is sugar. Okay. Yeah. But anything that's a real food, uh -huh. our body's going to be able to handle much easier right. than a food substance that's not really food. That's really just a chemical yeah. that our body is now going to have to try to figure out, okay, like this chemical structure sort of resembles this. I think this is what I'm supposed to do with it. I, I always say I try to eat a diet that is as close to the food that God made um, as I can possibly eat. So I, I, I aim for a whole foods diet, mm -hmm. which is not easy. And I really believe that, um, and I'm curious your take on this, that, our, that the change in our crops over the last hundred years, whether it's the bioengineered stuff, the, you know, making sure that we are only, you know, growing certain types of things because they have higher yield and they grow more quickly. 
But I think that those things have impacted our overall health so much because our bodies haven't had the time to catch up to it in an evolutionary sort of sense. What do you think about the change in the food supply as in the bioengineered foods, the types of gluten, wheat that are out there now, those sorts of things? So anything that has been um, chemically modified, our body is not designed to break down. Our bodies are great at figuring it out, um, but imagine the stress that that is putting your body under trying to do that. One of the things that I like to point out to people who are eating a plant-based diet like you are is that um, plants can be a huge source of toxicity. And I find that with a lot of patients and it happens for a number of reasons. But one of the primary reasons is that our food supply, we don't natively grow where, you know, right down the road, every plant that we eat, right? right? They are grown thousands of miles away a lot of times. And what happens is they're picked prematurely and then they're artificially ripened so that when you buy them in the grocery store, they look normal. But when that fruit or vegetable has not ripened on the vine, it's lost a lot of the natural processes that make it healthy for Mm -hmm. us to consume. And so then when we consume it and just over time, our body kind of rebels against it. We don't know what to make of it because like it can't get any better than fruits and vegetables, right? That were were, supposed to be clean, right? Well, you know, for me, one thing I... I tend to do is when the farmer's market is open here, I buy as much produce as I can there. So I know it's local, it's fresh. It was just picked. Another thing is curious too on this. I tend to go more for frozen fruits and vegetables if I can't buy locally. And my thought process is that they froze them for, I assume most places freeze them relatively immediately so that they keep their, they don't go bad before they freeze them. So therefore maybe they're more nutritious. I'm not saying that it's perfect, but that's my thought process. I don't know if that's correct. So I'm curious. I think I'm with you on that thought process. I think that it's unrealistic to think that we are only going to be able to get what we want to eat at the farmer's market, right? That assumes that we have a farmer's market with a lot of organic things, that we can access at least once a week, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of us don't have that luxury, don't right. have the luxury of time or geography, location. And, and so- More expensive right. too, I think. Sure. Um, and so I believe that there is a um, component where frozen may be the best mm-hmm. solution. Because if you think about it, let's just say I'm going to, buy organic broccoli florets, right? In right. frozen. Well, hopefully they allowed the that broccoli to ripen on the vine before right. they picked it and then chopped it up and froze it, because right? It seems like it would make more sense, right, to harvest and then immediately freeze it than have to 
hold it somewhere to ripen like the things that are being shipped fresh. You would think, unless of course it was really harvested in another yeah. country that is not handling things quite right. And that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down. So let's right. not do that. So it's, but, but I do think that the food that we put in our body impacts so much. So, I mean, I talked about dairy impacting kind of how my brain works. Is that something that's pretty consistent for most people? The food that they eat impacts their mental functioning and brain health as well? Yes. Uh, you know, if you've got any sort of um, uh, mental instability, um, even anxiety, depression, um, sort of stress that doesn't make sense right. based on what's going on in your world, um, bipolar, as you mentioned, any of those um, situations that are due to dysregulation of the brain hormones oftentimes are either at least exacerbated, uh, exacerbated by poor diet, but they may even be caused by poor diet. And so um, it's not necessarily just um, mental right. things. Like if you've got, um, a lot of people with mental um, instability kind of issues will have skin skin conditions right. as well. And so what does the MD do for skin conditions? They give you some sort of steroid cream, right? Which is only driving the problem further into yeah. the body. When you see those skin conditions, those are an indication that your body has toxins that it's trying to get rid of. Our skin is the largest organ of the body and it's looking for an exit, right? And the skin is the exit of choice. And so um, when we eliminate dairy, dairy is one of the quickest ways to relieve skin conditions for a lot of people. It's, I mean, that's another thing for me is, my, I didn't, I got rid of like the super red cheeks that I had, um, when I stopped dairy, uh, my just skin in general, like I'd had less blemishes. I, you know, it, my skin looked better just with that, the dairy taking that out. Um, my body was less itchy too. Um, which makes sense, right? If it's constantly inflamed, you're going to feel it. There's um, one other little thing that speaking about dairy uh, sensitivity that I I know um, helped me and I believe it may help your listeners is um, dairy can take up to 72 hours to fully express in your system. So what happens with dairy is we stop dairy for a day or so and we're like, I didn't notice any difference. Well, that dairy is still at work in your system for yeah. several days. And so what happens is we stopped dairy for a day, didn't really make a difference. Or maybe we even stopped dairy for a couple of weeks and we're like, oh, I feel better, but let me just test it and see, is dairy really the problem? So now I have a little dairy on the next day and it's like, oh, I got away with that. I don't see the symptoms coming back. And so a little more dairy the next day. And by like the third day, all of a sudden now the symptoms are running rampant again. And you're like, what the heck? 
you know, where's this coming from? It couldn't be the dairy because this didn't happen on day one of the dairy. But that's because dairy has a little bit of a longer uh, half-life, if you will, in right. our body. And that makes sense because when I quit dairy, I had been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which mm-hmm. am I like looking back, I think fibromyalgia is basically you have pain. We don't know what it is. So we're just going to say fibromyalgia. I call it a non-diagnosis diagnosis. <laughs> um so I was taking Lyrica at the time and for the listeners, Lyrica is a pain medication. Um, for some, it can be addictive. I think, I don't, I don't know. I think you can have some brain, you know, functioning differences with it. But for me, I took it, you know, in the morning and then in the afternoon, like I had a set schedule that I took it on and, uh, one day I left, it was, I think it was day three or four. I was without dairy and I had been still having pain before that. Um, but whatever day this was, I forgot to take that medicine in the morning before I left. It just didn't get done. And I got home in the afternoon and it was still there when I went to go take my second dose, my morning dose was still there. And I was like, I didn't take my morning dose and I haven't had pain all day, but it wasn't the day one or day two, it was either day three or four that was that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it it took a few days. And I think like with anything, it our, our bodies, like our brains, like we have to start getting used to whatever those new habits, new things in our life are. So well, it also takes, it takes a while for our body to regenerate. So different components Every component of our body regenerates, but it takes different components, different amounts of time. And so, you know, you would feel a quick relief in certain areas, but those improvements are accumulating over time as you're freeing up more resources so that your body can do more, more repair work. And that makes sense, right? You get things out of your system and then your body starts to heal one thing. So it has more resources to go heal something else, right? When one thing starts running better, everything else starts running better too. And your body can go focus on those things that aren't running as well. So before we end, we've talked about really sleep being maybe the most crucial place for people to start when they're feeling stressed, overwhelmed, or even mentally, you know, their mental wellness is not great. So besides sleep, what else can you tell our listeners that are one other small thing that they can do just to improve their overall well-being? So I like to remind people that the human body is a rechargeable battery, essentially. And one of the ways that that battery, that that battery recharges is, is with movement. Think of like the friction that happens in movement. And so, you know, just 20 or 30 minutes a day, just, you know, get up and walk and move. And um, it doesn't have to be big strenuous exercise. Doesn't have to get your heart rate through the roof. You don't have to get all sweaty if you're not in a situation where you can do that. If you are feeling stressed and you're even at a regular desk job, make sure you've got a pair of shoes you can walk in, 
uh, tucked away somewhere in your office or your cube and um, and throw them on and just go walk around the block and um, and get some fresh air and um, and you can walk off a lot of what ails you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just like I said to you, I think before where you hopped on the and recorded, I, I like to call it movement and not exercise because it doesn't have to be like you said, in the gym, getting sweaty, you don't have to be training for a marathon for movement to count and for it to impact your overall wellness. And I always add this, I tell this to my clients and to everyone I can, I am a firm believer in journaling. I think that it is a great way to brain dump. Um, I also think that, like you said, a walk or movement is great. I love, and I will use this, tell everyone this all the time, Google Docs, throw your like, headphones in, open up a Google Doc, talk to it and brain dump into that Google Doc while you're moving. And then you knock two words out. <laughs> One stone, you've got some journaling, a brain dump, which I think when we hold on to whatever it is, it can impact us. So sleep and movement, sleep, movement, diet really impact our overall well-being, including our mental well-being. Um, far more than I think any of us realize. So Absolutely. yeah. So listeners, I would encourage you to make sure that you are getting a good night's sleep every night. And uh, if that means that you have to let go of something, then that means that you needed to anyway, probably. And I also, if it's not bringing you great joy, take a look and figure out the, why are you doing it then? I think that's an important thing to look at is what's the reason for doing it? If it's taking up time and you're not enjoying it because you're not getting the rest you need, you're not taking care of your whole being. Um, well, so um, if you are curious more about what um, Dr. Gala does with her work, you can check her website out at drgala.com. Um, I will also include a bunch of other social media links, including her YouTube channel, Facebook, and all of that. So you can hear more of what she does um, also, you can find her new book as well as your others um, on Amazon, which I would encourage you all to check out, um, especially if you are struggling with this idea of, I have to do it all and um, I'm not feeling like I can and I'm feeling overwhelmed and stressed and not 100%. Um, so thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate this and I appreciate all the new information that I got as well. I'm sure that my listeners will appreciate it as well. Um, so with that, we have reached the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meets. Now go out and open a conversation and discover how mental health is experienced in your world. You can find more episodes of the Mental Society and all the places you find your favorite podcast and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. You can find additional resources and articles by visiting our website, thementalsociety.com. And remember that you are not alone in your struggles. Hope and help are all around you. Until next time, this is Amanda Dolan, wishing you good health, mental and otherwise. Bye.